Okay, um, welcome everyone. This is part three of the class that I started called The Romance of Heaven and Earth, um, which is supposed to be Thursday night class, but as I mentioned Thursday, I wasn't here and I couldn't, I, 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 the class didn't happen. So this was a continuation of the week before. And this Thursday, we did one yesterday during the day, and here is part number three, which will conclude with Hashem's help, the discourse. Um, some of you maybe are wondering, last night I gave a class and then you can't find it on YouTube. Um, it was called Is Mashiach Stuck? Um, I purposely deleted that class. Um, I plan on redoing. Um, the deletion came about because of a certain sensitivity that I felt that, not I felt, and I also got a very, very amazing story to tell, but I'll tell it in the in the next class, uh, where it might have, even though it wasn't my intention, but it might have been speaking ill or negative about certain people or Jews or group of people. And um, I felt that, not just from coming from me, but also through a sign from Claire from above, that um, I shouldn't have spoken so sharply. In that sense, I want to redo it, soften it up with Hashem's help, and uh, deliver that. I plan on doing that tomorrow night, Wednesday night. So for those of you that are wondering what happened, that's the deletion of that class. And with Hashem's help, we should be able to do it. And by that time, Mashiach should be unstuck <laughs> and be here already, and we won't have to even deal with the whole situation. Okay. Um. So we were learning, let me just dedicate this class because I got a beautiful dedication. Give me a second, I'll pull it up. We got a, 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 a dedication by Adam, I think it was Adam Klein. Let's make sure. Yep. By Adam Klein, all the way from Maryland. And he's dedicating the class to a dear special rabbi here in Los Angeles, Rabbi Aaron Doe Friedman and his family. Um, much bracha mazel and only good. Hashem should bench the Friedman family. Many of the Friedman children are my students back then when I was teaching children. Phenomenal children. Now they're all uh, grown adults. Baruch Hashem. May Hashem bless all of the Friedman family with much bracha mazel and only, only good. Thank you, Adam, for your generous words that you put at the dedication. And um, much bracha to you as well. Thank you. Okay. That has been said. Shut down all the distractions and let's go. So in the last class, two classes, we discussed the concept of the Midbar Sinai, which means the quest of earth seeking to attach itself to heaven. Now, um, in this particular part, we're going to learn the response of heaven to earth. Say heaven and earth, I go, let's go much deeper than that. The, the earth yearning for heaven represents the idea that the Shekhinah, the feminine element of the divine, that is the soul of creation, is yearning to reunify herself with the infinite, with her male um, uh, partner, 
which would be the infinite light of what we call HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the Shekhinah is, is, is yearning with a indescribable longing for that unity. Or the longing and which, which manifests itself also as the longing of every soul once the soul goes into a body, precisely because of the trappings of the body of the physical and the blockages of physical life, um, it, it, in prayer, if we pray, we can help it, help that longing come forth. We discussed at great length the reason why the soul descends down in the body. It's called a desert. It's a midbar. And during that time, there is, the soul is vulnerable, certain energies of the soul, and also when the Shekhinah leak into the unholy forces and that's a temporary fall, but ultimately there is a there is a gain, there is an extraction. In other words, even though the klipa, the unholy, might win temporarily, eventually, it needs to re- re- return and give back everything that it has stolen, but with interest, with with whatever it has been holding from the beginning of creation, deep in its in its bowels, that which has been holding in its in its uh, stomach, that which has been holding it uh, fiercely in its grip. It needs to release that. These are all the sparks of holiness that are extracted. And then when the Shekhinah yearns to reunite with her husband, she brings all those sparks upward. That's the idea. And that's called Midbar Sinai, the, the Midbar. Midbar was a, is a very hot place, we learned. And um, it, it, it represents the heat. And the Midbar is a place where nothing can grow. It represents the state of such desire and wanting to become nullified in the infinite, that one loses all ability to express themselves in the in their own individuality. So you go from being a full persona, a full a full being, full of colors, full of whatever you have, and in your quest to reunite with your source, you like become just one point, one point of desire. Your entire being becomes just a a, a ball of fire without any more any of the previous self that could be identified and 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 seen as 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 your own individuality this is the everything is cancelled in this yearning it's like we discussed this is what happens to the moon or representing it's it's represented in the cycle of the moon where the moon at the end of the month suddenly disappears from the sky becomes one tiny little point and then it disappears completely representing the utter nullification of the finite energy of creation or of our souls to unify back with the infinite light. Now, as a result of this yearning, this creates the, the desire of Hashem, of the infinite, to infuse the Shekhinah with his infinity, with his light, with a male is going to be intimate with the, with the Shekhinah. And, and also where God will become intimate and reveal himself in a very deep inner way to each and every one of our souls. So let's see inside. This is on Lakute Torah, page number eight, or Dav Dalet Omedalet, Sifhei. After this, the soul has elevated or purified or, or, or clarified these sparks in the three lower worlds, after the Shekhinah has done that, the oil and she rises. In a manner of Mayanukfin, in a manner of feminine waters, that's the feminine desire to connect and to cleave to her her infinite source, which is her man, so to speak. Through the power of might, this is called Gavura, because the opposite of 
it's an upward energy. It, it's like fire rising from, from earth going up to the sky. So to the Shechina is drawing away from the world, drawing away from the time and space and seeking to break free from the constraints of time and space into the infinite. So that's why it's Gavura, opposite of kindness. Kindness is a downward flow, flowing into time and space, flowing downward. It's like the flow of water. This is the fire element of the female. It's Imoin and, and, and this powerful thirst that we discussed yesterday, in, in yesterday's class. As David of King David says, my soul is yearning to you. There's something over here that I'm missing. Which is the idea, that, which is Shakas of Midbar. I don't know, something's bothering you with that. Okay. Which that's, the, that's the concept of the Midbar of the desert. Canal, um, as we said earlier, as a then afterwards, I'm Shachas Mad. So then there is the reciprocation with this, the drawing down of masculine waters. That means God is now giving her the illumination she's been waiting for, a taste of his infinity. What that does is it cools her fire because it's like when you're burning for something when you don't have it, but the moment you get it, it calms you down. And that's called masculine waters, lahamtik, to sweeten, govuda is the man, the intensity of the fire of the feminine desire. This concept is the mystical concept of this union of the male and female element within the divine. Like it says in, in, the, in the verse, everybody that's thirsty, go to water. So what is that referring to? It's referring that if you're thirsty, quench your thirst. And when you finally have the water, it quenches your thirst. So the water in this case means a revelation of the infinite pouring down to the Shekhinah. And that's called the masculine waters that quenches the thirst and the yearning of the feminine desire. Which this is, so we have to understand this is on a cosmic scale. We also have to realize that we're not talking, God forbid, in any way, in some kind of a physical form that we understand in physical intimacy. Physical intimacy is just a, a, a metaphor in physical, in, phys, in physical life for this incredible abstract of abstract of abstract cosmic idea. This is this masculine water, amamtik, that sweetens hagavudais, the intensity, the might, vitzimon, and the thirst, the malchus of the attribute of kingship, which is, as we spoke, that's the Shekhinah. So her thirst and longing is now sweetened and cooled down by the revelation that comes from above. And this is the concept of Oel Moed, the tent of meeting. Again, we, we are referring to the first book, the first verse in Numbers, where in the first book of Numbers it says, God spoke to Moshe in the desert of Sinai, Midbar Sinai, but Oel Moed. Simply it means it's just giving you an address where it took place. But on a much deeper level, it's speaking about this dynamic. The Midbar Sinai is referring to the longing of, of the creation to unify, or the soul of creation to unify with the infinite. And Oel Moed, the tent of meeting, is the tent of intimacy. Now, why, now, in, now Moed meeting, we understand that intimacy is a meeting, a meeting of two entities that become one. But why is it called tent? 
And the answer is, before it can enter and be internalized into 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 the see the shechina is considered and to a certain degree finite because she's meant to be the energy of creation so she's her her vessels are much 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 smaller than her husband who's far more expansive representing the infinite so when his energy is extended to her it first envelops her from the outside and then finally it comes down as a meeting it can be internalized you can take it in it's like when you're going to hear a class and the class is very abstract or very mystical or very beyond you it's like new ideas so in the beginning when you're listening to it it's still going over your head you're sensing its its loftiness you're sensing its 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 um power and its light but it's still you know it's still above you it's like somewhere over here and then after you allow it to sit and sit and sit, finally a little bit enters in the inside and wow, it becomes a concept that you can live with, you can internalize, you can digest it, it can become part of your daily living. So every relationship of male and female really works that way. That's the concept of before the, before the con- consummation of an intimacy, there is always the idea that the, they, the, the, they embrace each other. So he embrace, and, and in our case, we talk about he embracing her. His embrace to her is more of the encompassing energy. That's the oil. That's the tent. And then after that, there's the the actual intimacy where she's taking his energy into her. So that's this idea that there is first a tent. And then we see it in every marriage also. When you're bringing the marriage, which will later serve as the foundation for all the intimacy that will continue, the before a couple go home as husband and wife, um, the act of the betrothal and the marriage itself is that he, the, the man gives his bride a ring. What's a ring? A ring is also something that encircles her from the outside. It's representing this encompassing energy. So this, this general flow from him to her, both on these two levels, of first encompassing energy and then internalized energy, is, is both these things is already his... Is, is reflecting his his transmission to her, which is already the intimacy. Till now, we were talking about her excitement and her desire for this union, but it's not it's not a it's not a union yet. In our lives, it means our excitement about God, and if we want to get close to Him, we're searching, we're looking, but God has not yet um, revealed Himself into our soul. So, like the, the early stages of prayer, where on the outside. We're knocking on the door. We're begging to be allowed into the palace. We're begging to be allowed into glimpse the glory of a king. But then when the king finally moves the curtains away and the king is there, in our case, when the infinite is revealed to us, that's stage number two. That's compared like to that intimacy. Which is this um, unity of Ayichud, of this union of Zuchranukva, male and female. Now this takes place in, in, the, in the Kabbalistic writings. It says that this this union takes place in a special chamber called the love chamber. Which is in the chamber of love. Where is that? In the highest peaks of the third world. Okay, There is the, the our world, which is the world, the material world, the world of Asiya. Above it is the world of Yetzirah, the world of formation. Above it is the world of creation, which is a more loftier level. And then above the world of creation is the world of emanation. The world of Atzilut. So this 
this chamber of love is at the highest point of the third world, or what we call the second world from up down, and right before the highest state, which is pure divine. So Malchut meets her husband at the highest peak of where creation begins. And that's where this 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 love takes place. Now, in, in our prayer, when do we enter into that chamber? When are we moving our this is a journey not just of the of the cosmic soul, of the Shechina, it's a journey of each and every one of us. When do we reach that place in our prayer? We reach that place when we get to Ahavas Ulam, which is in the in the in the morning prayer, you know, there's first the first part of prayer is called Olam Asiyah. That's when we say, we speak about the sacrifices. This is until we get from Matovu Ayelecha Yaakov, or maybe Birchas HaShachar in the morning, the morning blessings as well. Until we complete the first section of the prayers, which is all about the sacrifices. Then we start a Hodu and we say Baruch Amar, which is the next part. It's called the verses of song. That's already in the next stage. And then we go into the blessings of the Shema. When we get into the blessings of the Shema, the second blessings of the blessings of the Shema is called Ahavas Olam, or Avarabha, depending on different versions of it, which is the great love you have loved us. That's the opening verse. And that doesn't just mean we're talking about love, that God loved us 3,000 years ago, or that there's some kind of spiritual love. We actually are in a experiencing a moment of deep divine love. God is embracing us, and we're getting ready for an incredible intimacy with Hashem. That's prayer. So, this is where it says, we mentioned earlier, that the blessing of Avas Olam, that is the tent of meeting. Once we've entered into this, into this part of the prayer, we are entered into the tent of meeting. Earlier, we're still in the desert which means we're yearning for divine revelation, but we don't have it yet. We're excited about it, but we're not, we're not there yet. We're pining for it. We're yearning for it. We're longing for it. We're thirsting for it. We don't have the water yet. We're thirsty for water. And over here is when we have the water. Over here is when we have the connection. Because when we are saying the blessing of eternal love, you have loved us, that that is the chamber of love. And this is the idea that Hashem's right hand embraces us. We're basically being embraced by God. We're being hugged by God when we're saying this blessing. And this girl, yeah, and we mentioned earlier. So it's, as again, it seems like it's not yet the intimacy itself. It's what we might call the preparation. I don't want to use coarse terminology, but it would be similar to a concept of a foreplay of a of a of some kind of a warming up from where they're actually together already, but they're not yet. Because the main and complete intimacy on this on this deep, deep godly level, this, this main intimacy is going to take is going to take place during the reciting of the of the Shemona Esra, during the Amida, during the eighteen blessings. That's when we're silent because we're completely, we've lost our existence completely because we have become one with God. And below here by the person who Indian now. Okay, this is in prayer. We can reach such a level. But also, this also manifests itself when we are studying Torah and when we're doing mitzvahs. Because Torah and mitzvahs is divine. When we, when we are 
studying Torah, at that moment, God is filling our head. In other words, it's not us thinking about God. It's God's thoughts that are now being channeled in our head. Torah is God's thoughts. It's God's thoughts, God's ideas. And we're basically like tuning into God's channel. And then he's channeling and we're just absorbing. So that's like a transmission from him to us. That's this intimacy. In a mitzvah, that's when we're studying Torah. When we're doing a mitzvah, it's more not that he is like entering into us, but more that he is embracing us. Because the light in a mitzvah, you are surrendering yourself to God's will. The mitzvah is God's will. And when we are surrendering ourselves and doing his, his commandment, like we're, so he is wrapping, we are being wrapped in his light. We're not understanding his light, but when we're, when we're learning Torah, we're comprehending something. Here we're not comprehending. We're not supposed to comprehend a, a commandment. We're supposed to surrender to the commandment. So when we surrender to the commandment, we are now in, enveloped in an energy of the infinite that is encompassing us. So that's called God's embrace to us. Which there it is explained in, um, in, in a different discourse where we explain that that's the embrace. The, and the observance of mitzvahs, Hashem's right hand is embracing us, which means we're literally being hugged by God. We really should dissolve the point that we wouldn't, we, if, if we were to be really aware of what's happening to us while we are doing any commandment, whether it's putting on the tefillin or giving charity or visiting the sick or whatever other mitzvah that there is, um, when we are doing that mitzvah, if we are to be aware of what's really going on, we should be so, we should experience such ecstasy and thrill that it should be really too much for us to bear. That We should literally pass out from the thrill and the sweetness and the delight and the unimaginable pleasure of having such a powerful encounter with, with the infinite, with God himself. Um, the reason we're able to withstand us Standard is, is because we are oblivious because of our coarseness of our bodies. We are oblivious to this incredible unification that's happening on our soul level. We're oblivious. And because we're oblivious, we're numb to it. And we don't, we can even, and even when we know about it, when we're studying about it. So we know about it, but we know about it just that it's happening, but we're not really tuning in to what it really means. Um, now, it's interesting. It says that if, 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 an angel, for example, if we would exchange places with an angel, or rather I should use the opposite, if the angel ex- exchanged places with us and the angel would put on a pira tefillin or wrap itself in a talit or give charity in the physical world, then the angel would, would, not, would not withstand it. The angels would, would, would get burnt up in the intensity of that experience. They, they, they would be destroyed. They would not survive. Now, even even though angels are far more powerful than us, yet the angel would disintegrate in this in this experience, and and we can survive. The reason we can survive is because we have no clue what's happening. The angel, because he's far more, he angels are far more refined and sensitive, so they're sensitive to that light. They're sensitive to what's going on, so they would really understand what's happening, and that would cause them to melt. But because 
it's it's in a way it's, it's happening to us in a very real way, but we, we, we don't we don't really feel it because it's too 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 powerful for us to feel and too above us. Um, for that reason, we can do these mitzvahs today and live to tell the story that we did the mitzvah. Now, if we never experience it, meaning in a conscious way, what good is, is it for us? The answer is one day we will revisit all these commandments that we did currently and we will then experience the light of them and then we're going to have the capacity to to experience it. Then we're going to have the sensitivity to appreciate it and the capacity to, to experience it. Now we do them, tomorrow we receive the reward. The reward is the actual reliving of the mitzvah that you did and seeing what it really was. That it wasn't just a physical act in accordance to God's will. It was a moment where you and God become totally one. And that is awesome. And this idea is hinted to this an incredible mystical concept. That after we yearn for our intimacy with God in prayer, then God responds to us and he fills our soul with his light. Either in Torah where he's filling us inwardly. Or in the mitzvot, where he's encompassing us on the outside, surrounding our soul. This concept is incredibly hinted to in a story of the Torah, which most people read, and they're there. It's it's it, you know it's 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 like you know interesting, but don't necessarily realize what's really going on here. It's the story when Jacob and Yaakov is running away from his brother Esav, and he flees. And he goes to his uncle's house and he sees his, his niece and she's destined to marry him. And in the first meeting, the first date, they embrace, he kisses her and he cries and he weeps. He weeps. It's a really strange encounter. First of all, it's the first date, you know, let them warm up a little bit. Why is he already kissing her and so on and so forth? So we know that the physical story, I'm not getting into the the story really happened in the physical earth. There was a man, Jacob, and there was a, a woman called Rachel. And they met and they had this, and they decided to get married. And it was love at first sight. Great. And then uh, uh, her father, the father-in-law, changed her, the whole story, receptive. Uh, he brought Leah instead of Rachel. Leah and Rachel, fine. That's one story. What's the spiritual story over here? Jacob is, is represents the on, on the cosmic scale, Jacob represents the divine masculine side, male, the male side of God. Rachel is the Shekhinah. She's metaphoric for the Shekhinah. In that meeting, when he meets her, this is, this is the Torah is telling us the story of this divine union, of this divine marriage between Hashem and his Shekhinah, between the infinite and the finite energy, meeting together. The kiss that he's kissing her is that incredible lacking of of, of breath to breath, where he and her are becoming so so one breath, they're becoming like one soul. It's like the two souls attached, spirit and spirit, because your 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 spirit is in your breath. So when the two breaths attach, it's like there's no more where I end and you start, or you start and I end. We've both become two entities, have now become one continuous soul, one continuous breath. And with God, this represents that the Shekhinah is now filled with infinite light. And why is he crying? Because the reason Jacob is crying is because great, Jacob, which refers to God, 
feels incredible compassion for the darkness that the Shekhinah goes through. So for the Shekhinah that is a spark of the infinite, to have to lower itself down into the finite worlds and to sustain finite world and to give life to that which is limited and, and, and defined when the, when, when it's really a, when the Shekhinah is really a part of the infinite of Hashem, it's very, 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 very difficult. It's very painful, especially when add to it that the Shekhinah goes to exile, which means that the forces of unholiness are torturing her, are inflicting her, are stealing her energy, are subjecting her to the giving life to that which is negative. It's enormously painful and stressful to the Shekhinah. And her husband, who knows what she's enduring, feels incredible compassion and pity for her, and he's moved to weeping. The weeping is his compassion for her. What that means to us is that God weeps for our challenges and difficulties that we have, for our pain that our soul has to endure through the difficulties and hardships of life. Now, even though God doesn't necessarily always alleviate that pain, he allows us to work it out, to work through our struggles and our difficulty. The reason why, because God knows that ultimately it's worth it. Ultimately, we will come out champions. Ultimately, we will achieve the unbelievable. We will access those hidden sparks. We will, we will, but, but it's still painful. When you're watching your child going through something difficult, even though you know it will be enormously, enormously beneficial to your child, it still causes you to be filled with, if you love your child, it causes you to be filled with a very intense feeling of, of, of compassion. This is the meaning of Masha of what it says, that Yaakov kisses Rachel. Which is referring to the infinite. Yaakov, which is referring to the masculine level of God that's really in Atzilut, in the in the realm of the divine that does not lower itself down into time and space. However, for the sake of his bride, he extends himself into the highest point of creation, which is called the chamber of the Holy of Holies, just like physically. Well, where did God meet us when God was present physically in this world? Where? In a re- when I say God meets us, God is everywhere. But where is he, was he revealed? God was revealed in the, in the temple, in the holy temple in Jerusalem, but not in the whole temple in the sanctuary, and in the sanctuary itself, in the inner sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies, between the two cherubs. That's where the divine uh, um, uh, resided. So spiritually as well, it, in the highest realm, but it's, but, it's still a, but it's still within the creation, at the highest point of creation, which is called the Chamber of Holy of Holies, that's where the infinite descends to meet his bride his his wife the the godliness that's within the world she rises up to that place and he descends to that place and together they 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 have that that union the nimshach and therefore and he comes down in the chamber of the holy of holies lahashpia to give to deliver to her hamad the the masculine waters which again which will quench and fill her with the light and revelation. And once she's filled with that light, she's now empowered to go back down into the darkness because he's kind of filled her with energy and power and, 
and, and, and, and, and incredible joy and satisfaction. Now she can go back and take on the world. She goes back down and to complete every day. It's the cycle of up and down and up and down, in and out. And that's the concept of now he's going to explain why it's called the tenth of meeting. Because the word moed is, which means meeting, meloshin vinoyadati is from the word vinoyadati, and I will make myself known to you. Shuatziruf, which the word vinoyadati, which means I will make myself us make myself known to you. It's the same word as vinoyadati, which means I will make myself known. Vinoyadati means I will set a time for you. Vinoyadati means I will make myself known. And these two words are the same letters in Hebrew. One just has the dalit before. The ayin, and one has the ayin, the letter ayin before the dalit, but it's the same word. Uh, which the root of the word vinayadati means I will make myself known. In Hebrew, the word known is das. Now, what does it mean to know someone? To really know someone means really to feel the other being. Not just to know means I know you. It's like knowing someone intimately is called knowing. Where do we find that? When the Torah describes uh, marriage the first time, it says, or the intimacy between Adam and Eve, the Torah says that man knew his wife and she became pregnant. Doesn't say, why is the Torah using the term? He knew her. Because a intimacy means connecting to the other person to the point where you know them, you feel every element of them, you really know them. And obviously a true intimacy is not just a physical intimacy. It's one that engages, involves emotion and at a deep soul level, a deep connection between two individuals, between a husband and a wife. So in our relationship with God, it means to be, but God allows us to know him in a very, very, very true inner way. That's called, that's this intimacy. That Adam knew his wife. That from this yediyah, from this level of das, is where the transmission comes from. So we know that the actual, when a, when a man is, 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 is being intimate, he, he's connecting to her very, to his wife very deeply. That's the das, is fixing his mind. He has to concentrate. We know that the main thing in intimacy is that you have to have your mind there. If a person is distracted and, 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 and their, their, uh, you know, their mind is elsewhere, then there's no connection. And the worst thing people can do for their marriages and their life and their intimate life is to, is to bring their phones into their bedrooms. It's terrible. Because what happens is that you're not you're not connecting to the other person. That means even when you're like trying to focus on them, you're you're thinking about is someone texting me? Is someone this? You're not there, and that's the opposite of an intimacy. Intimacy means there's nothing in the world right now besides you. You you are my entire being. So it's full focus, full attachment, full full concentration, fully being one with the other individual. So um, the 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 so so the main that's called the das. The the, the 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 connection to the kadas is really connection, connecting to you. That I I I know you. I know you emotionally. I know you. But that's creates the connection, and then the final transmission, where he is taking of himself and giving himself to her. That's triggered by the das, but is executed by the element of yisod. Yisod, we know, is the actual, literal of him giving of his soul to her. On a physical intimacy, that's translated into the uh, procreative substances that create the child. Is that is that when, when 
Now, even if you're not actually having a child from it, and she's not going to become pregnant, but the actual, it's something, something is said, something very deep is being communicated over here. What's being communicated is, I, I love you so much. You are everything to me, so much so that I just want to give you me. I want to, and that's what he's really doing. He's giving her him, himself. That's why if it, it leads to a pregnancy and a birth, your child is you. You basically took your soul. It's almost like you ripped the piece of your soul off and you gave it to her. There's no greater gift. You can buy your wife flowers. You can buy her chocolates. You can buy her, you can give her a nice card. But ultimately, the love is so intense that you don't want to just give her this or give her that or give her money or give her that. You ultimately just want to give, you want to share yourself with her. And that's expressed in the yesod. In the, so the yesod physically is associated with the reproductive um, part of the human being. And that's actually where the connection is taking place in the fullest and that transmission. And that, so again, it's, it's, but if we all know that if your mental focus isn't there, then there, you can't even be intimacy. It knows the yesod won't work unless your das is there. So the way, if you look in the spherot, das is high up in the mind and then goes to ferret is the torso. And then below is the sexual part of the human being, and that's the yesod. But they're all lined up with each other. There has to be this 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 connection on this entire connection of from das, which leads to the which leads to the yesod. So now now we have to anthropomorphically remove all physicality from this. We have to realize that we're talking over here about very mystical concept as this applies to the spiritual dynamics of our soul being intimate with God or the Shekhinah being intimate with the infinite, it means but that there is first a, a, a connection, and then God is actually transmitting a piece of himself, so to speak. He's, he's, he's communicating his very self to us through the Yisod into, into our soul during, during prayer, during the davening, or when we're studying Torah. It really is an intimacy. So as he says, Through the Yisod, it starts with the Das, and from the and that's what God is saying. I am, I am, I will make myself known to you, and I will attach myself to you. Now, this concept is discussed in the writings of the mystics of Nari as one of the intentions that one is supposed to have when we shake the lulav. Now, lulav we do on Sukkot. We shake the, we take the four branches and we shake them. And the lulav represents this intimacy. Um, and he gives certain meditations that we should meditate during that time, how powerful that time is. Venera, now he explained, this is actually a, 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 a parenthesis, so it's from the grandson of the author, the Tzemach Tzedek, who's explaining his grandfather's discourse. Now, why does it say first tent? As I mentioned to you this earlier, first tent and then moed. Moed is the meeting, is the actual intimacy. What's the tent? As he explains, the oil moed pchenas oil, first the tent. Because every time there is a a transmission from a male energy, a male level, which is higher, to a female, which is the vessel, which is lower, there always has to be on two levels. First, there is an external transmission, and then it's internalized. So that's why it's first the tent. That's the second part. That's when I told you earlier that the actual transmission and connection, the excitement, the love, the beginning of the 
of the, the, the introducing of this intimacy begins already. Um, in other words, she and him enter into one bedroom. If we would use a, a course example, where does that start? That starts when we say, when we enter into the chamber of love, the part of davening, when we speak that blessing, that's when we entered into the chamber of love with God. During the Shema, we're getting deeper. And, that, and then finally, by the Shemona Esrei, is when we're engaged in the actual unity of Hashem to us. And what's the final transmission? Because even in the unity, we know there is a stage, and then there is the final giving where he gives it. So that final transmission is in the last blessing of the Shemona Esrei, which, which, the, which we, what are we saying? Sim Shalom, give peace. The giving of peace, sim, give, that's, that's the opening of the verse, Sim Shalom, give peace. We're asking God to give peace, which means we're asking Hashem to transmit and to give us who he really is into our soul. And that's the actual completion or consummation of that unity. Uh, because in the Yesod element of the Ze'er Anpin, which is the six emotional attributes of God, so the Yesod is the bonding element. The Lubish is enclosed in it a higher level called Yesod Abba, the Yesod element of Chachmah. Chachmah is the first of the ten spherot, where in Chachmah resides the infinite. The pure orange self, higher than all spherot, resides in Chachmah. So when there is a revelation, when from the Yesod of Chachmah, and so that Chachmah is the first recipient, the first vessel that's open, pure, literally it's a seat and a vessel for the infinite line. Fine. But that's Chachma itself. What's the Yesod Chachma? Yesod of Chachma is the ability of Chachma to transmit that. But he's, he's, he's saying that the, the, the Yesod of Chachma is first enclosed in the Yesod of the Erampin, of the, of the of lower level, of the six emotions. And from the Yesod of the six emotions, which one encloses the other, it's transmitted to Malchut, which is the Shekhinah, which is which we know in the Yesod of Chachma, of the father level, is the Mochin, is the brain of, of Abba, of father. And of the long face, which is referring to Keter, to the crown, to the infinite. The Atik Yomen, and even the ancient of days. So it's higher and higher and higher, beyond all spirit, ultimately, it's, it's like it would be coming from the pure essence of God himself. So it's the deepest intimacy possible. And what does it mean in our soul? How does this translate? What it translates is that if, if we are tuning into what this really is, we get a taste of God's pleasure. We're actually experiencing not that we are delighting in, in, in our experiencing God. We suddenly become so one that his pleasure and delight is now sensed in our soul is now flowing through our soul. So it's, and what's pleasure? Pleasure is the deepest experience. So within God itself, it's the deepest, highest, innermost, inner light or inner, inner, inner experience within God, whatever that means. What do you mean that God has pleasure? It's good questions, but that, that's the idea. What is so inner and so essential in him of his essence is now we're completely locked in that. We become one with that and receive that. This means the enclosement. 
and the revelation of the supernal pleasure. Obviously, if we were to um, normal people, small people like us experience this by Shemona Esrei, then we would never want to stop praying. We would never want to step out of Shemona Esrei. We would want to pray day and night. We would never want to step out. But um, the great righteous people, the very holy tzaddikim, they experienced this. And that's why pray, they would stand sometimes hours and hours in prayer. And you can see on their face that they were in a, in a whole different zone. They were in a complete different place. And we understand that once you experience that kind of pleasure, you lose, you lose interest in every other pleasure. Any kind of, in other words, all kind of worldly stuff become meaningless. And you become obsessed with just this. So the Giloyatayin and the revelation of the supernal delight and down here in our soul, on a more simple level, he says, it's when you're doing the mitzvah, as we spoke earlier, God is embracing you. But when you're not just doing the mitzvah, but suddenly you're overtaken with this incredible joy and happiness, it's because your soul is sensing this revelation, this, this intimacy, this unity. And that's why you're suddenly so joyous in the mitzvah. This is, so there's one thing to do the mitzvah. It's another thing to explode with joy when you're doing the mitzvah. And we're talking about some kind of a spontaneous experience of joy. We're not talking about a premeditated, you're, you're, you're thinking about something that's making you happy. It's like while you're doing the mitzvah, you're suddenly overtaken by this otherworldly joy. Like we have stories of great Sadikim, a righteous, great, ra- saintly people, that you that they danced and and danced and danced when they did a mitzvah like it was like no tomorrow. The joy was like all over them. When you're joyous, means that it's opening up in your soul. If it's not revealing itself, see, every time we do a mitzvah, that's happening to us, but it's not necessarily that we're opening it up, which means we're experiencing, we're internalizing, we're sensing it. If it's revealing itself in our soul, that's when the joy kicks in. This is the revelation of the soul. And what you're really feeling is you're feeling the delight and the joy that God has. Because this brings Hashem enormous joy that He can connect to us. And it's a strange thing that why would He want to connect to us tiny little whatever. But that's, that's what He wants. And that's how He set it up. And that does give him a deep inner sensation and a pleasure. He chooses to be married to us. He chooses to be engaged with us. And he wants to be able to give us a taste of him. Of him. And that's the, the revelation through the mitzvah. But in order to feel joy, and it shouldn't be our joy. It should be God's joy flowing through our, 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 our nerves and our body. And God's pleasure that we are tuning into. At that moment, you, we, we cannot remain separate entities. Because if we're separate entities, if you're not God, then you're finite. Okay? God is infinite. The only infinite one is Him. So if we are not God, not God meaning we're stuck in, in non-divine consciousness, so we still are maintaining our creation status, then we're finite. And if we're finite, we can't experience His joy and His and his and his pleasure. In other words, to experience his joy and his pleasure, we have to become him. Now, that's really what an intimacy is all about. 
But true intimacy is when each party doesn't just feel their pleasure, they feel the other's pleasure. In other words, the other pleasure is their pleasure. Not like I am, I am feeling my pleasure and this is your pleasure and this is my pleasure. They become so entwined and one with each other that each other's pleasure is their pleasure. It's, like, it's, not, it's, not, it's not even that I'm happy because you're happy, but I'm actually tuning in so deeply to your soul. I'm sensing you so deeply that your delight is my delight. And, and meaning the same pleasure you're feeling, I'm feeling that pleasure and, and vice versa as well. And with God and our in, is, in our intimacy with God is that we should feel that we have to cease being us. We have to become him. And that's where the Zohar is. The statement of the Zohar is that the ultimate achievement of a person is to become literally absorbed in the body of the king. What does that mean? We get we our bodies become assimilated into him. Our soul gets assimilated into God's very being. And we're at that moment. We're not creations anymore we are just included in the infinite this is the powerful idea of becoming absorbed in the body of the king now this is much higher than heaven this is an enormous teaching over here this is way above heaven because souls in heaven even though they experience bliss and ecstasy and all kinds of things it's not becoming one with god because in heaven, the souls exist as creatures, as spiritual creatures. And if we have down here, uh, let's give an example. If we have 5% capacity of experience, souls in heaven have, you know, 90% level of capacity compared to our little 5%. That their experiences are enormous. Their pleasures are enormous, but it's still fine. So that and that's why it says that their pleasure is only a, from a ray of God, but not that they become Him. They remain separate entities, enjoying and basking in divine light. But it's their pleasure that they're feeling. It's not they're not feeling God's pleasure, which is pure infinite. However, when we are in bodies and we're doing a mitzvah, at that moment we're able to become so one with God. That we can transcend the ray. It's not a ray. We are no more experiencing something about him. We are experiencing him himself. And that's the idea of becoming one with him. It's the Zainyan, as he says, It is much greater than the whole experience of the Garden of Eden, of the spiritual of heaven above. Because the Ganeden, the 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 lights, the lights of heaven are only a ray of the Shekhinah. Only an external ray, or maybe an internal ray, but only a ray. But through this, that our souls come down in a body, and we go through the hardships of life and the and the distractions and the difficulties, and yet we overcome them and we do mitzvahs in So then we get elevated. Why do we get elevated? We get elevated into marriage with God. Marriage means to become one with him, to cleave and to become one flesh. So when the Shekhinah, the mother of all souls, rises from the three, from her enclosement in the world, from the three lower worlds, and she rises upward in a state of feminine waters, feminine waters, so along for the ride, 
she's taking along with her on her wings or like an elevator. She elevates along with her an entire family. Who is that? The souls of the righteous go along with her. And as she cleaves to her husband, together with her are her details, which are her children, are, are the souls. They too experience this, this intimacy with Hashem himself. The souls of the righteous, literally, and these souls become included in God, in a state of feminine waters. In other words, feminine waters, they be, are rising up the feminine desire the female, to, 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 to dissolve in her husband. But that's the desire. Once we achieve the peaks of desire, where it's not tolerable anymore, then God responds and he fills us with his light and that's called the masculine waters. And then it is drawn literally into them, meaning into the Shekhinah and from the Shekhinah and via the Shekhinah to all of her children, which are souls, that the souls of the righteous, that they too receive this transmission, this download of God's very self. Also the masculine waters, that's coming from the yesod element, from the attaching element, from the bonding element of the masculine side of the divine. And this is the meaning of becoming absorbed in the body of the king. And the only way to achieve this is when we're, is this, we can't hallucinate this because it's even, it's real or it's not real. You're sitting and you're, you're imagining this is what's happening. It's nice, but not necessarily what's happening. This has to be real. Is God transmitting or not transmitting? So he says now the only way they're transmitting is coming to us is only through the Torah and the mitzvot. That's the channel. And this is only and exclusively through the Torah and the mitzvahs. Because the actual seminal droplet, what's being transmitted in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an intimacy from the man to the woman? Semen. So that um, fluid that, and when we're talking about it's the divine fluid that drop nimshach mehechasan. He's going to explain how that's the mitzvahs. Let's take a look. How many mitzvahs are there? How many mitzvot are there? There are 248 mitzvot. What happens to a seminal drop, droplet, that a man passes to a woman? It's a drop. But in that drop is contained what? The 248 limbs of the child. In other words, if it will lead to a pregnancy and then to a birth, it's going to be a child. And the child has 248 limbs. Which means the mitzvah, mitzvot, which are one of those 248 limbs, is really in essence that seminal drop that God is delivering to us. And he's saying in truth, it, 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 before it becomes 248 limbs, it's really the, the pure love coming from God's inner kindness. Kindness is his willing to give himself, to reveal himself. Now, spiritually, they're called the five powers of kindness. And that's the root of the 248 mitzvot. Because really, how do we get to the number 248? The way it works is that the Ze'er Anpin, which is the male side, so to speak, of the divine, has, besides the Malchut, the Malchut is the Shekhinah. So really, if you count, the Erampin has nine spherot. The Malchus, the, the, the recipient, the feminine, the female, she's the tenth. And she's separated from him. Just like by Adam, a rib was taken from him and it was separated from his body and that became his wife, which means his receiver, his receptacle, his vessel. 
So you have nine sephirot, but each sphera has all which make up the skeleton, so to speak, of the man. Now, each one has all other nine in them, just like we just speak always that in, in mystically, every sephira has all the others in them. So you have to make nine times nine. Nine times nine is 81. Okay, fine. Now, 81, if you make if, 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 each in each one of these 81 nuances that make up the entire structure of the divine being, of the supernal man, in every level, there is the beginning, the middle, and the end. For whatever reason, not to go into the discussion right now, that there is the beginning, the middle, and the end. So you have to then make 81 times 3. 81 times 3 is 243. So if you really break down the skeleton of the nine sephirot, after you fully manifest each one of them, you completely, it comes into full development, it ends up 243, you can find 243 points, 243 entities. But in order to bring forth these 240, 243 energies, there are five powers of kindness that is the underlying current that drive and help and bring forth the divine to reveal itself in these in these 243. So therefore you have to add the 243 plus another five gives you 248. And that is really the inner infrastructure of the divine. How many mitzvot do we have? 248. What that is really telling you that every mitzvah is really contains within it this seminal drop. And for that reason, yeah, there's no other way to experience in our soul such an intimacy with God. The only possible way is through mitzvot. Because mitzvot stem from this inner, 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 inner core essence of the divine being transmitted to us. Explains because the drop of masculine waters, which is really the seminal drop, it's drawn from the five powers of kindness, which from them stem all the 248 positive commandments, as it is known. So, number one, from a seminal drop, what happens? A child is born with 248 limbs. But he's saying another element. We all know that the, one of the probably the most pleasurable experience in a human in a human being is a physical intimacy, and it's actually at the release of the semen at that moment of the of uh, uh, that's when the 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 pleasure fills the entire person. And it is explained that it, it, it goes through the spine. And that's why it's as if your entire body from head to toe is filled with pleasure. So it it but it basically goes through the nerve system again. I don't know the, the, the neurons and the whole element of the science behind a a um, this of the of the reproductive experience. I'm not exactly sure the science of it. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a biologist, but as it is explained mystically is that the droplet is a concentrate of every part of your body. In other words, it's, it's somehow, it's derived, it contains within it all your, all your limbs. All, all, of the, all of the person, all of the father's, the man's limbs. And therefore, number one, it will, it will create a child that has all the limbs. 
Secondly, it itself is a concentrate of all of the limbs of the person. Everything is in it. Your feet are in it. Your hands are in it. Your stomach is in it. Your intestines are in it. Your liver is in it. Your, and that's why it's so sensational to the entire body because it's really, everybody's engaged in this transmission. Um, so spiritually, as we, again, apply this to the divine, the mitzvot are like stemming from every aspect of God, from every aspect, all in that concentrate. From the, all the 248 limbs, from them come the 248 positive commandments. Like it says, this week's Torah portion, Pasha Shalach, this Maimer is still in Bamidbar, but this week's is Pasha Shalach, talks about the mitzvah of tzitzis and the mitzvah of tzitzis, which are the fringes that we wear at the end of the garment, are supposed to remind us of all the mitzvahs. In some way, it's related to this powerful thing. Now, now the Maimer is going to say, once we understand, Midbar Sinai, the, ten, the, the desert of Sinai, is the longing to connect, the heat, the fire, the passion. It's the desire for for us to bond with God. Oh, El Moed is God reciprocating and actually responding and giving, transmitting himself to us. Now we'll understand that who was, it's the verse says, raise the heads of the Jewish people to their, to their head count, count them. And where should you count them? In the Midbar Sinai and in the Oh, Moed. But who was in charge of counting them? It says God spoke to Moshe and to Aaron, the two brothers. Why would these two people have to be there? Because in order to facilitate this incredible union between God and the world, between Hashem and the Shekhinah, between Hashem and a soul, a finite soul with an infinite creator, there needs to be assistance coming from two powerful forces. Moshe is responsible to bring God down, and Aaron is responsible to stimulate us and wake us up to this relationship. Because imagine it's possible for us to live our entire lives thinking that the physical world is all that there is at and totally oblivious that there's anything higher that we should even want and thirst and long for this for this infinite energy for this infinite light how many people do we know that are actually active actively engaged in such a in such a quest you need a certain high priest to make you aware and to and to and to wake you up to this, and to empower you to have that desire and that longing. So Aaron is the one responsible. He's called the escort of the bride. We know by a by a by a wedding, the, the bride and groom don't, don't just show up under the canopy. The groom is escorted. Someone brings him, and the bride is escorted. So in our case, this is in our in our marriage. It says between I mean, between Jewish people and God at Sinai. Moses is responsible to bringing God to the wedding. Our high priest was responsible to bringing the Jewish people to the wedding, to the canopy, to the chuppah. And in our dynamics of daily living, the spiritual Moses, the spiritual Moshe, the spirit of Moshe, even if he's physically not here, but the spiritual energy of Moshe is a cosmic force in the world that assists and brings God down through Moshe Hashem's channel down. And through our own, is the, he's the one who, like last week in the Torah portion, Aaron is the one who lights the lamps. Lighting the lamps means awakening within the soul this fire. That's why he's the one who lights the menorah. 
as he says. So that's why the Torah emphasizes right over here when it says Midbar Sinai Ol Moed, it says that who is who is there Moshe and Aaron. Because in order for us to experience the desert experience, the heat of the desert, the yearning, we need Aaron to ignite that. And in order to experience the tent of meeting, to channel God down, without Moshe, there's no tent of meeting. How do we know that? It says after the Jewish people completed the task of building the tabernacle, no one was able to erect it. It was too heavy, it was too strong, and it was impossible. They tried, it were massively heavy beams. Until Moshe was the only one, Moshe, everything was brought to Moshe, and Moshe, Moshe put it together. And the reason is because in order to, to create a tabernacle and bring God down, you need a unique soul who's meant to be the bridge between heaven and earth, and that's Moses. That's why Moshe brings us to Torah. This idea of a tent of meeting. This is accomplished through Moshe. And the raising up the Pchenas Midbar Sinai of the tent of the of the of the of the Sinai Midbar. Who are they? Aaron. That's that's Aaron's job. Moshe is the escort of the king. Pidish, what does that mean? Moshe is that element of attachment. Without Moses, God is, Hashem is, but he's not attaching to the world. Moshe is the concentration that causes his soul dynamic is from that element of Yisod, where Yisod is the interest and the desire and the ability to bond and to transmit downward. That's the reason why he escorts Hashem, the infinite down. He's the one that causes the chasan, the groom, to descend. Which is the Zeir Anpin. Vav Silos, the six Sephirot of Atsilos, of emanation, which is still above the world. That it should descend via Slabish and it should be enclosed. In our 248 physical mitzvahs. Because really, here's the question if once we appreciate that the mitzvahs are really an expression of the infinity of God, the mitzvot, the commandments, should have all been so abstract, so so spiritual. And yet we know that all the mitzvahs that we do are physical actions. So how does eating a physical cracker on Pesach, which is eating matzah, you know, where where is the divine, like, what's the, how is it blowing with a, an animal horn, which is a mitzvah, or putting on leather straps, which is tefillin? The answer is, that's part of what Moshe's job is. He is the one that takes the abstract and brings it into the concrete. He brings it and it connects it to the physical world. That through a physical action, we can connect to it even in our physical bodies. That's awesome. They hated the Islamish that the 248 spiritual organs of God or limbs of Hashem should come down and, and manifest themselves in the positive, in the 248 positive physical mitzvahs. This is a indescribable descent. It's an it's a it's a it's a huge descent. And he gives an example to that. The very idea that one's intelligence of one's soul can operate through a physical brain. See, the gray matter of the brain is physical. We understand that gray matter 
is not is not is not doing anything. It's only a it's a container, and in that container is some spiritual force. The mind, the mind is not the brain. There is the brain. The brain is only the physical uh, uh, um, vessel, and then there is the mind. Now, how is this an apps the mind which can't be you can't the mind you can't put on a scale you can't weigh it you can't measure it it's 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 something that is not it's metaphysical and yet for the for the spiritual mind so to speak for the abstract mind for the meta for it to connect to a physical brain is one of the wonders how does the spirit attach itself and operate through the physical matter of the brain. Let's explain it this way. When a person passes on and the soul leaves the body, they still have a mind. They don't have a physical brain. And guess what? At that moment, their experiences of intelligence is far more expansive because it's not operating through a slow physical brain. It's not operating through a slow processor. It's now able to work through a magnificent vessel. The, the vessel I mean, it doesn't have a physical vessel. So now it's it's it can run so much faster and stronger and more powerful and richer when it go when it when it goes into a physical uh, 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 um, when it has to work through the gray matter of our physical brain, it slows it down tremendously, it weakens it tremendously. But we understand that that connection of abstract mind to a physical brain is an enormous descent. So you can imagine that a million zillion times more to draw down. The, the 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 qualities that make up the divine, the limbs of the divine, whatever that means, the abstraction of the of, the, of it's above all the worlds, of, and, and and to take it down into a physical container, it's 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 impossible, and yet Moshe is that funnel that brings it down. The power of the intelligent shuruchni, which is spiritual. For it to come down in a physical container on a brain. This is enormous descent. Because the physical brain is not of the substance of intelligence at all, or comparison at all, or the substance of, of, of intellect. Which is spiritual. The same is also above. Mamish. The 248 positive commandments. Hem and Yonim Gashmim, the way we encounter them are all physical actions. It doesn't mean that the mitzvah begins in the physical. The mitzvah is a divine, not just a divine concept. It's, it's made up of the substance of God himself. And then it's coming down to that we can actually touch it and grab it. You can pick up that pier of tefillin, which in that pier of tefillin is God's brains. And the six emotions which make up the masculine side of the divine, they are emotions of the world of Atsilo, they're God's emotions. And then later when it becomes from six more detailed, as we discussed earlier, it expresses itself as 248 limbs of the king, but the, the limbs, they're not physical limbs, they're not even spiritual, they're beyond, they're divine. They're as spiritual as it gets. They're in the realm of emanation. Which don't have any comparison or any relationship at all. And this is an enormous descent. That the, the six 
directions of Atzilus, which make up the masculine element of the divine, that it should enclose itself, it should vest itself in 248 positive commandments. For example, in the tefillin, there is a parchment. It's a physical parchment. It's written a physical, a physical, uh, uh, on that parchment is written on physical ink, with physical ink. It's written a certain script taken from the Chumash, one of the portions called Parshas Kadesh. In that is enclosed, guess what? The supernal wisdom of God is contained in that short passage that's now manifesting as ink in a parchment that's in that box that's on your head. This Hashem's mind was now enclosed in those particular letters. If you're going to write anything else, it can be the most the most beautiful poetry and put it into your tefillin. It's poetry. It's not God. For it to be the divine, to be a mitzvah, to be it needs to be exactly written and it has to be written exactly with a scribe on the right type of parchment with the right kind of ink, with the right intentions and all the laws. And only when you write it according to the laws of Torah does it have this magic that in this physical tefillin descends the infinite infinity of God's mind, a piece of God's brain, so to speak, into that into that physical on physical parchment. And so it is in every positive commandment. And this enormous descent, that's called God being a groom. Because being a groom, when you're not married, you're single, you're living yourself. So you can be living in a detached state. When you're getting married means you're attaching yourself to another person and you're going to connect yourself to her. In our case, where the distance between the bride and the groom is infinite because we're small, tiny, little peepsqueak creations and God is infinite. So we can understand that the descent of us becoming his wife requires this enormous descent. And that's called God as being a groom. He's being our husband. He's, he's descending. Chatan. In Hebrew, the word chatan means to going down. It's him stepping down. And when do we know that God did that? That's why we say that. When is our marriage ceremony? When God gave us the Torah, it's, it's celebrated as a marriage. The day of his marriage, Torah. This is the giving of the Torah. And therefore, So it takes this enormous tzaddik Moshe, who is the element of the yesod of Chachm. Which means he's the ability to transmit and to ca- and to and to and to connect, just like the element of yisod in the person is through which you connect to your spouse. And he's the one who's called the the Zohar refers to Moshe as the escort of the king. This will be understood based on what it says in the Mimer of Matzazu. He explains in that discourse, which we learned, um, that there is a quality of the lights of Chachma much greater than Bina. Because Bina, the Mochen De'ema, which means the the mind of the mother, is already to a certain degree limited. Because it's Bina. Bina means understanding, and understanding things are already fixed. But the Mochen De'aba is still just a pure revelation of the infinite. In Moichen Da'aben, the Moichen of Chachma is where the, what is above the entire progressive chain order of creation. It's coming from beyond the entire system. 
the and the kameka hashecha goira, and which interesting is that here's is because he's coming to explain here a point. How is it that we can bridge the gap between these powerful spiritual energies or divine energies, and how can they manifest in physicality? It doesn't make any sense. Physical is the lowest form of existence, and this is above the highest. This is so. How do the two connect? It doesn't make any sense. So the answer is, as he explains, there is a level of Hashem which is beyond the entire scope of higher and lower. Higher and lower is kind of within the paradigm of creation. There is the lowest points of creation, higher creations, higher creations, and above it there is the divine element. But that too is part of already part of the process of creation. Now, the distance between the lowest and the highest is boundless, is is endless. But still, they're both within the realm where you can say high and low. Then there is God's self that transcends it, where to him, the highest and the lowest are both nothing. Because even his manifestations in the world of Atsilas to the truly, 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 truly infinite, undefined God is zero. It's meaningless. It's the same meaninglessness like a physical stone. So since he is so super high, he can even out high and low. And when he himself gets involved, he can take the most abstract, highest entity and attach it to the lowest because he equally transcends them both. And that's the meaning of like darkness, like light. To him, darkness and light are equal. So he can bridge together the lowest points of darkness with the highest points of light can get married together because he's above it all. And that's why he's saying that Moshe is necessary because Moshe's soul comes from this transcendental element of the divine where he can take the, the powers of the divine and connect them to physicality. Enormous quality of neshama, of soul, that Moshe is is taken from so that he should be able to serve as that matchmaker and as that unifier to bring heaven and earth together. Mosham dafka and dafka from that very lofty place, nimshach koyach it's where the power comes, for the divine attributes to enclose themselves in physical actions, the gashmi is in the material. Al shem Look over there, where it explains, because of this, God made for me whatever. Over there. Also see about the uniqueness of Moshe's neshama and the famous mimer. Again, a discourse we learned. And this is now the, the understanding, as we, I mentioned this earlier, of why the only one that can lift up the Mishkan was Moshe. So what does that mean? The Mishkan, which is the tabernacle, that is metaphoric for the Shekhinah. Shekhinah is the Mishkan. Interesting, when they made the Mishkan, uh, the Mishkan is made up of beams, and on top of it, they put tapestries. They put these. So in the front, when you walked into the sanctuary, while there was a tent of meeting, the the tempestry hung down a little bit on the front. 
I mean, it didn't go down to the floor because that was the entrance, but it, it, it like overlapped in the back. It hung down all the way to the floor. It's like a tablecloth that goes all the way down to the floor. In the front, it was just, you know, hang a little hangover, hanging down just about two feet. Rashi and Chumash says, why was it hanging down two feet? So Rashi brings from the Midrash, because the Mishkan was like a modest bride who has her face veiled. We know that when a bride goes at a kosher wedding, when a bride goes under the chuppah, she covers her face with a veil. Now, why is the Mishkan, which is a building, having a veil like a bride? The answer is that the inner dynamic of the Mishkan is not just Mishkan. Mishkan is, represents the entire, the Shekhinah. I mean, in that Mishkan is the entire life force of all of creation. The Mishkan then is like the concept we spoke earlier. She is Rachel. She's the feminine element of creation. The Mishkan then is all of our souls are embodied in the Mishkan. It's the genetic code of all of existence. It's all in that Mishkan. Now, where's the male? Where's the male element? Where's the groom? By God coming down to dwell in that Mishkan, that's the infinite that's above creation. Coming down to dwell in the Mishkan, that's that, uni- that's that unity, that's that intimacy between him and her. Now, the verse says that no one was able to pick up the Mishkan. What does it mean, pick up the Mishkan? Picking up the Mishkan doesn't just mean lifting it up and making it stand. Picking up the Mishkan means allowing for the Mishkan to be picked up and be absorbed in God. Again, God comes down and fills the Mishkan. It really means that the Mishkan itself, which is the Shekhinah, becomes assimilated with God. Means once God was dwelling in the Mishkan, the walls are not physical walls anymore. The partitions are not, the altar is not physical, nothing. It's all spiritual energy. The entire place has now become unified with God. That's what it is. It's a sanctuary. It's, it was miraculous. The whole time and space didn't, didn't, didn't even operate over there. As we knew certain miracles that defied all elements of time and space. It was like incredible. But here's the amazing thing. With all the work that we did in making the Mishkan perfectly, no one was able to put it up until Moshe, Mishkan, he put up the Mishkan. Why? Because that's the secret we're saying over here. To draw God down all the way into, into this element of the fixed time and space um, faculty of Shekhinah, of Mishkan, can't do it. Only Moshe can do it. And that's why he says, that Moshe elevated the Mishkan or erected the Mishkan. Moshe, who is that element of Yesod, of, 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 the, of the Chachma element, of the, where the infinite dwells. He is the escort of the, of the king. He is the one who put up the Mishkan. The Mishkan is the inner energy of the Mishkan is the Malchut, the Shekhinah. This is the kingship element of the world of Atzilus. Shehim Shechba, what does it mean? He erected the Mishkan. He drew down into her a revelation of the Zeiranpin, which is the infinity of the spherot above, which are infinite. Hanikra Malka, which are called the king. And this is what made it to be erected in a good way, which means in an efficient way. For the Mishkan. Look in Midrash Rabbah. 
that with all the wise men that were there, including Betzalel, Betzalel was able to prepare everything and design everything. But to actually turn it into a Mishkan, no one was able to do it. Only Moshe can do it. All the craftsmen, all the greatest, no one can achieve it. They could not pick it up. And you rose above them all is referring to Moshe. When it speaks about Moshe's resume, it says over here, who went up to heaven, who put up the Mishkan. So all of this is explaining the dynamic of Moshe, who is the escort of the king, who is the escort of the groom. Now, Aaron and Aaron, on the other hand, also had to be there in the in this in the desert, overseeing this the census, overseeing this counting, because this is again facilitating the marriage, and you need to bring the bride as well. In other words, she has to have an interest in, this, in in becoming absorbed in him. If she's not interested and she wants to remain an independent entity, then no, you're not going anywhere. You can't drag a woman that's that would be, you know, abuse. That would be violence. That would be violating her. She has to want to become married to him and receive his light. It has to be cons- consensual. And, and and so how do how does how do we consent to dissolve out of our finitude? And become unified with with God, which requires again. It's, it's it sounds like a lot of fun, but on the other hand, it requires a lot of giving up. We have to be willing to give up on ego and on self. So it's negotiable, right? Is everybody willing to do that? Are we? We find ourselves there's a lot of resistance. So you need to find that right arrow. You need that right sadik who can enlighten us enough that we should appreciate that there's nothing in the world that is more worth it than this relationship. And everything else, it becomes utterly foolish and empty and nothingness. So you need that high priest to evoke that. Aaron is the escort of the, of the queen, of the bride. Now, how does, he, how does Aaron ignite us? So that comes also through divine assistance. You see, once our soul goes into the world, our soul goes into the body, sometimes the soul forgets she's a princess that she was once living in the palace above as a free spirit, as a free being. You become so acclimated to the physical, earthy world that she starts seeing, viewing herself like an animal. She starts viewing herself as part, as a citizen of this world, not as a, not as a, as a, as a, as a, as a you know, a bypasser. But someone, imagine someone who's been living in mansions and they get drugged up and they get pulled into some slums, literally in slums, and they're drugged up to the point that they totally forget that they once lived and they don't even yearn to go back to that magnificent state that they were before. So that's what happens to us. We become numb. Once the angel, it says the angel teaches us the whole Torah when we're in our mother's womb, but then the angel hits us on the lip and we forget everything. And when we're born, we think we're material. We think we are physical creatures. We aren't. We are spirits locked in a body here for a purpose, but we're trapped in a body. We're trapped in this material world, but we forget it. So our own is a special soul that has a special energy where he can release the special, uh, um, he can give like a, a, an, an injection. He can, he can try or shoot us a little spark. What, what that does is it disnumbs, it unnumbs the soul where suddenly we remember who we are and we yearn for that, for that spiritual past or we're yearning for heaven and we recognize that we're really trapped there. 
So, and spiritually, that means that Aaron, if Moshe is rooted in Chachma, Aaron is rooted, has some connection to Bina. And in Bina, is with, which is the source of fire, Moshe is rooted to Chachma, which is the source of water. Water is to channel down. Fire is the source of rising upward. So the Aaron is the one who draws down the fire. Just like we spoke before about our five powers of kindness, which flows through Moshe, which is the root of the mitzvot. There are five powers of severity, which is the opposite energy of fire. But Aaron is the one who draws that fire down from Bina into the Malchut, into the Shechina. And as a result of that, fires her up with a yearning to go up. So that she should be awakened. And that she should be able to raise up her feminine waters. That she should become a parched desert, which means a longing soul that's seeking light, seeking spirituality. Aaron is the, is the level of abundance of kindness. And what, so what does it have to do with this? He's abundance of kindness. Isn't this supposed to be the Gevura? Because he has to evoke in a Kamoisha Bedorim. Now interesting. Chesed is on, is on the right side. Now the right side, when you're facing, what's called facing forefront? East is called front because that's where the sun comes up. West is called the back because that's where the sun sets. And when we know when we daven Shmon Esri, at least here in the northern part of the world, we all face we face east to, towards Jerusalem. Because our front is towards Jerusalem and, and our backs are towards the west. So if you're facing that way, what's to your right? If you're facing east, which side is to your right? South is to the right. So therefore, south represents kindness because kindness is on the right side. Now, what do we see about the, 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 the south? South generally is hotter than the north. You go up north, you're cold. You go down south, you're hot. At least, and I guess it's in this part of the world. I'm not sure it's everywhere like that, but that's the way it is by us, right? North is cold and south is hot. So in order to create the heat, and that's why he says an interesting thing. Most people live in more northern places, meaning more in the cold than in the hot, because the hot is unbearable. Now, and sometimes as extreme heat, you know, people can't live there. Obviously, in extreme cold, you can't either live, but in a Kamoisha Bedarim, just like in the in the south, ain't by Yeshiv Kolkach, not that no one lives there. There's less civilization in these really hot places. Kayim Khenas Midbar, because you have a lot of desert there. And the reason is because it's so intensely hot. So Aaron, who is an agent of this abundance of kindness, which is the southern, and by the way, Aaron lit the menorah, and the menorah was on the south side of the temple. That's where he ignited the menorah, which is he, he activated the heat. It's Hashem's right hand, which means that when there's an extension of Hashem's right hand, which means there is a sudden sense of how much we remember, we, we're touched by the by God's love. By so, what happens is it, it 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 suddenly reminds us, and we want that more than anything else. It's almost like God sends us a teaser to we evoke through us that 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 heat. Leo is Petrinas Midbar Sinai, so that we should become Midbar Sinai, we should become the desert of Sinai Canal. 
this is the meaning of the verse, which seems to be talking just about a simple story that Moshe and Aaron together are responsible to counting the Jewish people. But it really means not just counting, it means lifting their heads, lift them up so that they should be able to become unified with God. Throughout, it can't happen unless there's a consensual relationship, which means we need to desire that and passionately desire it. And that is from our own. And that will evoke within us the desert, the flaming desert. And then Moshe needs to get God in the mood so that he should get, he should descend from his infinite heights to meet us. And this is the meaning, lift the heads of the Jewish people. To your families. We'll soon see what that means. And who are the ones who lift the heads of the Jewish people? And that's Moshe and Aaron. Together they do it. And the reason why is we have to lift them up. Lift them up means, and as long as our heads are like a cow all day long just licking the ground, and I mean, and what that means and in, in translated to our lives, as long as our entire sense of reality is the material, and all we were busy all day long is seeking another way to enjoy physicality, whether it's all the various different things or pursuing money and fame and power and all this vanity, then as long as we're stuck there, we're not going anywhere. So there has to be, someone has to lift us up to a higher consciousness, to a higher awareness. Right? And so many of people, I'm sure, listening to this class, you wouldn't be on this channel unless, you know, you can all look back at a time when perhaps what I'm saying and speaking at this class wouldn't interest you. You would think I'm totally out of my mind. Who's talking about yearning for the infinite? Like, where, like, 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 why would we even, why would we even be speaking about it? Like, you know, let's talk sports. Let's talk making money. Let's talk. There's so many other channels in YouTube that have all kinds of other information. But why are you here? It's because somehow. You know, there was some kind of motion and Aaron that lifted you up to a higher space where you're saying, hey, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more meaning. There's got to be something deeper here. And that's the idea of lifting us up to a higher place. Who does it? Moshe and Aaron together. Because we are initially when we're born and we wake and we be, as soon as we, we mature through our childhood and come into our teenage years, you know, there is uh, there is computer games that, you know, we can we can we can be excited about. Going to the, um, going to the, uh, what is it called? The uh, these, these these game places. No, I forgot what they're called. Um, I know. Um, I just visited one last week. My kids wanted to go to he went to Arizona, so he wanted to go to the, whatever they're called. You know the places where you go in a bowling alley, and then they have all these, um, you know, all these games. You can, you can lose yourself. You know, that's what it is. What are teenagers busy these days with? How many are seeking? connection to the infinite right so naturally we're we're, we, we, we're we're unaware we are we are in a way like an animal we've lost all sight of our spiritual origins we're in the world of asiya so Moshe and Aaron together have to lift us up it says lift them up to their families simply means count them to their families but why is the Torah using the term lifting them up to their families which means lift them up to a notch higher to their families, meaning to the way the souls were before they went into their bodies. means to the ayin nefesh, to the 70 souls. Shehem babriya that they are Now, if we trace the Jewish people who are in the desert, this is, the, this is like 600,000 Jews, men. Okay, and then there was about, altogether like 2, 2 million Jews. 
who were then in the desert. They're all descendants. The last time they were counted, before they left Egypt, or before they even, when they, as soon as they came to Egypt, they were just 70 members. Before they were 70 Jews who came out to Egypt, they were really only 12, 12 tribes. And before they became 12 tribes, they were really three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On the male side, I'm not talking about the female. So really when we put the Jewish people, we can put a pyramid. Three fathers, 12 tribes, 70 members, and then, and then, two, and then 600,000. Now these are not just generations. These are also levels of consciousness. When we are 600,000 means we've landed on earth. We're here with our feet on the ground. And it's okay to have your feet in your ground, but it's not good to have your head on the ground as well. So, but that's the state of being when we are on earth. God is telling Moshe, lift them up to their families, which means bring them up to a state where they, the consciousness of the 70 members. Now understand something. Yaakov, Jacob, and his children, the 12 tribes, who later gave birth to these 70 members who came down to Egypt. They were super sensitive souls. These were the powerhouses of spirituality. They were so holy. They were so obsessed with spirituality. They were, they knew the Jacob, they, they, it was their grandfather, it was their Zaidi. So they had, so lifting them up, so spiritually also, they were a higher level of soul. And then those souls like become like uh, this, not disintegrate, but uh, just say fracture into little pieces. And as they fracture into little pieces, it starts becoming less powerful, more, more invested in physicality. So here, Hashem is saying, I, I want them to go back up you know, I, I'm happy their feet are on the ground, but I want their heads to come up a couple of notches. So first of all, bring them back to their families, which means families, he's going to say interesting, means two levels. Bring them up. No, I'm saying sorry. Family means one level. Bring, I think, bringing them up to the level of the 70, of their seven, when the Jewish people were only 70, which with those 70 people were on a much higher level of consciousness. That's not enough. Bring them up to their father's house. No, I'm sorry. Families, I remember now. Families includes two levels. Families, one level up to the 70, and even a higher level of consciousness up to the 12 tribes. To the level of consciousness of Ruvain, Yehuda, this is a much higher level of, of spiritual awareness. And therefore, the thirsting for spirituality was so much stronger the higher you go, right? So, because it's a much greater appreciation. Bring them up to two levels of families and then to their father's house means elevate them to the level of godliness when of the three fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is way above, a level of complete. Lift them up, bring them into that state. And up there is where I can meet them and get married to them and, and infuse them with my revelation. And that's already the meaning that even after that, to their skulls, which means to the state of absolute oneness with me. As he explains, the, the, uh, see, we are down here, he says, in the world of the material, in Asiya. But where should you raise them up? Some raise them up to a level to their families, to the level of the 70 souls. Where is that? That's two notches higher than this world. That's in the world of Bria, the world of creation. And then raise them up even higher. To the level of the 12 tribes which are not the world of Bria, 
they are still the world of Bria, but the world of Bria as Bria, which is creation, is attaching itself, is connected to the world of emanation, where it's kind of a hybrid between creation and emanation. This is the attaching level that connects the world of creation to the world of emanation. So on the one hand, it's related to, and that's the 12. 12, it says that the, 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 when Yecheskel sees the chariot the, of God, he sees a chariot, and, 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 and the, and the tra- chariot has these beasts, and the beasts are numbered as 12 which means the first level of the divine man, which is Atzilus, connecting to the world of creation, is through, through these 12 entities. So the 12 is a very lofty level within creation itself, that creation is already in a state of attachment to what's beyond creation, to the world of emanation. That's the level of the 12, which is higher than the 70. 70 is the level of creation that's before formation and before completion, before the material. It's still a very lofty state of creation it's a very pure state but it's still already it has a thickness to a certain degree because it's already creation and the ultimate refined state that even higher not the ultimate but a stretch higher is the 12 tribes which are somewhere in between creation and emanation and the forefathers they're purely in the world of emanation they are totally unified with the with with hashem then you should raise them even higher the base of to their father's house which are ha'avos, these are the, the fathers, the patriarchs. Hein merkafti law, they are the supernal chariot, chagasta atzilus. The three emotions of atzilus, chesed is avram, kindness, Isaac is gevura, severity, and Yitzcha, and Yaakov is, tef- is teferis. So these are the three main pathways of the world of atzilus. And these are three levels of mercy and pity. So one of the things that he does not discuss and explain over here, but he explains it in, remember I told you, this discourse is a commentary on an, on an original discourse that we didn't learn this year. I learned it a few years ago. In that discourse, he discusses that a pivotal element to facilitate this union, this marriage between God and us, requires that we should evoke divine mercy. It's only as a, as a within the sense that Hashem has enormous love, but also mercy for us, pity for us. He pities our 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 limitations. That He wants to infuse us with something that's real. So we have to evoke that mercy. And there are three levels of mercy, of pity, of feeling. Three levels. Let's put it this way: three letter. I'm sorry. A better word would be compassion. Three le- levels of compassion. What does that mean? We know Jacob is compassion. Abraham is kindness. Isaac is discipline. And, and Jacob, his, his, his energy is the energy of Teferit, which is compassion. Now, his children, because they're the children of Yaakov, they have their father's energy of compassion, but on a lower level. So it's explained in the main discourse, it's a lesser level of compassion. The 70 children that are the next generation, the grandchildren, they are still called, they are referred to in the Torah, the 70 people that are coming out of the hips of Yaakov, yotz or the thighs of Yaakov. They are extensions of Jacob. What does that mean? It's another level of compassion, but a lower level of compassion. So we have three levels of compassion. So what does that mean? 
So we'll go from the bottom up. From the bottom up, it means like this. The, 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 most, the, the most immediate kind of a compassion that we can appreciate is that we can have compassion on ourselves that we are sadly most of the time unaware and unconscious and unfocused on anything we're talking about right now. If you think about it, how much time, I know maybe you're sitting over here for two hours and listening to this class, and that's a nice piece of time, but compared to our entire lifetime in which we spend thousands and thousands of hours, maybe sometimes doing important things, maybe sometimes wasting time with absolute, what we call shtuyot, absolute stupidity that has no value at all. And, we, and, 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 and when God is standing right next to you, waiting for you to open yourself up and to attach yourself to him. And instead, we are busy looking at a fish tank. Uh, nothing wrong with the fish tank, but I'm just saying that kind of thing. We're busy watching a movie on Netflix or whatever it is you're watching or wasting time on, not you. I, I'm talking about all of us. We all get caught up with the, with the stupidities of life. And again, even when we are doing what is what is really meaningful, we should minimize it and do it so quickly so that we can get back to learn Torah and, and do mitzvah, especially when we understand that Torah is God's brain and a mitzvah is the, it's crazy. So when we suddenly realize that the fact that we are in bodies, our consciousness is so thick and dense that we're, we're, so, we're, so, like, we're so unaware that we have compassion for our soul that our soul is trapped in the body. That kind of an awareness, we can, it's, it's easier for us to experience. We can appreciate. We can all appreciate that when a soul is not in a body, it's much freer to be a soul. When it's in a body, it's very, very constricted. And that's the lowest level of compassion. And that's called the compassion of the 70. The level of compassion of the 70 is they had compassion on their souls being in a body. A higher level of compassion is to appreciate and to understand that even when you're a, even when you're a soul, and therefore you're free to flap your wings and soar through the spiritual worlds, through all the worlds of 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 the, of, of of where the godly light is shining, which is the world of formation, the angelic realms, and the world of creation, the world of pure souls, including the Garden of Eden and the the the, the great incredible worlds of light, which is like wow, awesome. One can be experiencing spiritual ecstasy and bliss and delight. But when you realize that all those worlds are still contained within the parameters of time and space, and therefore they're locked and they're considered utterly insignificant in compared to what's beyond time and space, which means the the levels of the infinite, of the divine, you have compassionate of, of... one can experience compassion not on the soul being in a body, but the soul being a soul. That too is, is a pathetic state because the fact that we are a creation, which means defined by certain parameters and definitions, and therefore can only nibble on the divine, only experience tiny, little, little, tiny, in very small spurts, so to speak, of divinity can illuminate us or little rays of Hashem. That too is a is a pitiful state but obviously for us to feel that while we're in bodies to us it would be like wow if you can only free me from my body and put me into the worlds of light that would be unbelievable 
So we, we're, it's hard for us to, to experience that higher level of compassion, to realize that even being a being of light, see, when we're in bodies, we're beings of darkness. When we're free and we're not in bodies, we're beings of light. But even being a being of light is still not a being of the divine. It's still a experience of creation. So that type of compassion is the level of the 12 tribes. Because what did we say before? The 12 tribes, they are the connector between creation and beyond creation. So they have a keen, sharp exp- express, a feeling of what's beyond time and space, what's really infinite. And therefore, they have compassion on even the souls that are not in bodies. They also have compassion. But then there is even higher. And there is the compassion on the level of Jacob himself, not just children, but in Jacob himself. What's the compassion of Jacob? Jacob's level is so sublime. He is in the world of Atzilut, which is the world of emanation, which is not even much of a world. It's, it's a, it's, there's no creation there. It's only God. But since it's God already manifesting in certain attributes, as opposed to God, as God is purely undefined and therefore absolutely infinite, then all the attributes are also considered minuscule and nothing compared to the pure infinite light that's beyond. And therefore, he has compassion on him himself and on the entire realm of Atzilut. Even the level of the, even a being within the realms of divinity is also pathetic. Why? Because divinity is also a projection of God and not God himself. And God himself utterly transcends even the divine levels. You hear this awesome idea? Three levels of compassion. So obviously, on the lowest level, we can barely have the lowest. Now, the, the 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 when when we are before we start climbing this ladder, we think we are in Garden of Eden when we're when we're eating sushi. You know, <laughs> we have we can order sushi, we can have pizza, we can we can we can we can we can we can enjoy the bar, we can I don't know, uh, whatever 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 the delights we can we can have, we can go to an amusement park and have a nice time and enjoy things. So we're kind of satisfied. We don't even realize that's any pity. Like, what's wrong? I have, like, my, my life is, like, amazing. <laughs> so it's already a step up when we can realize that being, being limited by the darknesses of the body is a very pathetic for a human, for a soul, for a holy soul. But that's the first level. Then we graduate that to a higher level of compassion where we realize that even if we are to be free and to be a being of light, it's also considered a trapping. And then we go even higher to reach a point that even if we are attached in the levels of the divine, we melt into the divine, it's still compassionate because we're still not touching the infinite. Part of this process of elevating the soul and then in, into this marriage, into this unity, is that we evoke divine's mercy through feeling these three levels of compassion. And that's the idea. Hashem says to Moshe and Aaron, raise the Jewish people up that they should even know how pathetic they are when they're so far from me. And once they will realize it, they will really yearn for me. And once they will yearn for me, so now I have someone that I can, as we said before, you need consent. You need a consensual relationship. So I can have someone that I can be intimate with because they want me. They want to melt into my infinite light or else they're satisfied with that they are, with, they, with who they are. Like, why do I need you? Who are you? I'm a woman. I'm happy where I am. I'm happy being single. I'm a, what, are you, what are you offering me? What do I need you? That's the idea. 
So these are the three levels of compassion. Now, Rachman comes from the attribute of Teferis. Now, what, what you're know, explaining why the connection of compassion has to do with the attribute of Teferis. Teferis means splendor. Because he says the real experience of compassion is when we don't just know God as being great and awesome, but that we can actually visualize the splendor of the divine. When you see the splendor of something, and you realize that that's a place that you should be in and you could be in, they turn you away and they don't let you go there. You feel tremendous compassion on yourself. Well, you feel so bad. Imagine there's like this, an experience which is just absolutely splendid. And everybody's, people have tickets and they're going in and you watch someone being turned away from this. And you know, because you've looked inside and you, or that person knows, and they're peeking inside. They see, oh, and they don't let them in. You, you, they start crying by the door. Please let me in. Have mercy on me. Let me in. <laughs> You're uh, an upsetting thing. Last week I told you I was in Sedona, so um, I went to speak. I had just a few hours there. We, I told you I was mainly in Phoenix. I, I spoke in Phoenix, right? but we went up for just a half a day on Thursday. That's why I didn't give the class. We went up to Sedona, so we had we arrived at like four o'clock and or three thirty. And then we said, okay, let's go do a hike. And I needed to find like a kind of a doable hike, more doable. We had our son with us. Our son has special needs. So um, I went to speak to the, the, the concierge at the, at the hotel, the lady, and that's when she had a, she's interesting. I wanted to speak to her to tell me where to go. She was so excited. She's speaking to a rabbi that she started speaking to me and I, she wanted to know my opinions about the world and so on. I gave her a whole class. <laughs> I needed to leave. But then she tells me, go to this hike. She recommended where to go, the West uh, Gorge, the, the gorge of, in this place called Oak Creek. She says, it's magnificent, red rocks, deep gorge. You're walking through and there's formations there. You're going to love it. There's water. There's a creek. It's shady. It's not so hot there. You'll enjoy it. But she said, you know, they're closing at five. After she kept me up there for 45 minutes, she told me they're closing by five. So I hopped into the car with the wife, with, with, with my wife and my son and we, and I'm zooming <laughs> You know, there's always when you're trying to go fast and there's like some slow poke in front of you and I'm getting all agitated because I really want to get there. And, you know, the, G, the, the, the GPS is telling me the, that I'm going to be there at 4.57. And I'm itching because the park, she told me the park closes at 5. So I literally, thank God, I turn in, it's 4.58. It's 4.58 on the thing. I turn in. And the park ranger is walking and he waves to me and he tells me, turn around. He said, why turn around? He says, we're closed. I said, what do you think? Close at five. It's 4.58. He said, no, come back tomorrow. I said, tomorrow is Friday. I'm leaving back to Los Angeles, whatever, at, at five in the, at um, whatever, uh, early, early morning. Because I had an eight hour drive to get back. I can't come back. It's my only day here. Please let me in. What do you care? I said, and, and it's before the time that you shouldn't close. You should let me in. He was stubborn like anything. No, he's not letting me in. So in the end, I didn't go in, but I was feeling so upset because I would have imagined, I looked at some pictures, and I said, how beautiful this is, and I'm missing it. So the compassion comes from appreciating a certain splendor that you're missing out on the splendor. That's just a little example in the material, in our own little world, where you can see a physical splendor, a, spl- a splendid canyon of red rocks, especially it was going to be... So evening time where it gets really nice and I was imagining the beauty of it and missing out and it got me so frustrated. So this is the idea. 
when we recognize the splendor, not of the little rocks in this final physical world, it's just a little crumb of a crumb of a crumb of a crumb of a crumb of God's awesome splendor. You imagine that being a soul, you are privy to, to look at the glory of the king himself, to see the splendor of the spiritual world. And when you realize that you don't have it, that literally brings you to a point of feeling such pity that you can cry for your own misfortune. And that crying is what creates within you the desire to see. And that desire to see with that compassion evokes Hashem to show you his splendor. And that's the idea that he's explaining over here. comes from When we contemplate the glory of the splendor, of the greatness of the infinite one, that's when we feel terrible for the descent. Now, in Teferis itself, there are three, three vessels, three levels, three thirds, and that's what creates these three levels of compassion that we spoke about earlier. These three levels of compassion. Once you experience this level of compassion, all the way up to the level of the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, especially Jacob's compassion. And from there, you can be actually that compassion readies, conditions the soul that God should swoop down and lift the soul up into the unity. And that's called lifting up to your skull. What does the skull mean? The level where you're experiencing pure divine love. It's no more human. It's no more, it's, you're melted into the infinite. And at that moment, you're locked in a love that's utterly transcending logic and understanding because it's no more you. It's no more our understanding. It's just the being, it's almost like being sucked up in the, in the infinite light. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's a desire. It's an unbelievable desire, but it's not a created desire. It's, it's, it's getting lost in an infinite desire. That's the level of crown. The Gilgalta and 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 entering up onto the skull of the Zairanpin of the Ubavoid uh, Hashem and what does it mean in our service of Hashem? Ubchinas Avarab is achieving the great love. Shalomailam and Adas, it's no more about how much you appreciate and understand. You've completely um graduated, the person completely relieves the realm of any type of knowledge and understanding, and by now it's almost like something infinite takes over. It's not, this can't be understood by any type of intelligence. Like the skull that's above the brain. And that's, now this mimer is said on Parshas Bamidbar. Bamidbar is before the holiday of Shavuos. So the Alter Rebbe says, this level of love is what the holiday of Shavuos is. Shavuos is when you reach such a locked and God gives the Torah. It's the wedding. It's the state of complete emergence. And that and that's when the crown is revealed. Because all the, the days of counting, which are the days leading up to Shavuos, we are drawing down the individual midot. We're not drawing from the keter. We're drawing from the attributes. 49, because there's 47 attributes. 7 times 7 is 49. The first week is Chesed. Each one has seven in them. That's like 
the climbing up, like we spoke earlier, which is still part of the system. You're climbing up to higher vantage points, but you're still within the system. Uh, as we spoke earlier, right? You're rising from being a material. We are rising from being materialistic to becoming more spiritual like the 70 souls. And from there, we're rising like the 12 tribes, even to a higher level of spirituality. And then we're actually arriving already into a state, stage of the divine experience, which is the, the forefathers, but it's still somewhat contained within a certain finite state. But then on Shavuos is when the crown is revealed. is the revelation of the crown. It's explained elsewhere that on the Yom Tov of Shuas, this crown is what's revealed. Even though it's coming from the Ze'er Ampin, this is a Kabbalistic idea which we're not going to explain over here. It's really coming from the real Keter of Erech Ampin. I'm just going to read this very fast because I have to really conclude this year. I'm just going to maybe just uh, give the, the briefest explanation, maybe. He's explaining why this all took place in the desert. Because in the Midbar, it says a place where man has not... Again, the discourse is basically over. Now this is a parenthesis in the end where he's just obviously saying a lot of awesome stuff, but we're a little rushed. The forehead of the Zeir Ampin is called the place where man doesn't live. It's higher than the level of man. With the level where he's not a man. Like explained in Zohar in a certain portion called the Idra. It's also called Midbar because a Midbar is not a place where humans live like we discussed earlier. Nothing grows. And also the forehead is unique. That even though the skull has hair, the, fore, or the rest of the face also can have facial hair, but the forehead has no hair. So that's called like the desert because that's where there is no here. And here, what does near here mean? Here means a contraction where energy is flowing, but energy is flowing through narrow pipelines, through narrow channels. But the forehead means the revelation of the of the of the thing itself not being diluted or not being concentrated through channels. And that's why it's the highest revelation. That's why the desert. There's no here that grows there. It's a level that's beyond where things grow. The world of growing is another element. Besides it being narrow, is that here grows from being short to being long, which represents a place of fluctuation. And if it's a place of fluctuation, it's obviously not the essence because essence doesn't fluctuate. It's just a place where energy flows and in flowing, there is higher and lower, less light, more light. That's all where God is called man, like a human being. A human being is first small and then he gets older, he grows, matures, ages. But when we say God is not a man, mean he's fixed and unchanging. But then there's a level where God is called man. So on the level where there is man, there could be Less and more, young and old. On the level where he's not a man, there it says, God says, I don't change. And this is like we spoke earlier in the discourse yesterday. That's the level where when after Mashiach comes and says, will be a thousand years where everything will be charov. That means there won't be changes over there. Now there's constant fluctuation. It's a thousand years of revelation where there is no change. And that's why it's called resting. It's Shabbos. Shabbos is a day of resting. It's the highest elevation. 
there's a whole lot of goodies over there, but I'm sorry. That's to where we can learn today. And um, may we merit that all this should be available to us to actually experience and to feel and to live. And that's it. Thank you.